This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. Even in today's inflationary times, the word millionaire has a certain meaning. With a little self-discipline and the power of compound interest, millionaire status is available to federal employees who make wise use of the Thrift Savings Plan. Here with advice and some good experience with how to get there, retired federal manager Abe Grungold. Abe, let me ask you the million-dollar question. Did you retire as a TSP millionaire? Tom, I was very, very lucky in my federal career, and I hit the $3 million mark during my federal career. Uh, I was blessed to have achieved that goal. Wow. All right. So you know how to do it. And let's say someone is simply trying to get to the $1 million level anyhow. What's, how do you do it? What's, what's, what should the basic practices be to get there? So if you are a young federal employee and you want to be in the elite TSP Millionaires Club, it's basically a double-edged sword to blaze the path to get there. First of all, you have to contribute as much as you can afford, and at a minimum, the 5% employee contribution where you get the 5% match from the government. And the other side of the sword is to invest as aggressively as you can tolerate. And everyone has a different uh, level of risk. But you have to invest somewhat aggressively in order to get there. And that's basically it. It would be also uh, ideal if you could reach out to someone in your organization who has achieved the million-dollar status and get some pointers from that person. I suppose it's possible, but if you stick with the G Fund, is it possible to get there? But maybe even if you can, it means you had a greater upside potential, sounds like. Well, you can achieve a million-dollar status solely investing in the G Fund, but you would have to maximize your contribution to the maximum allowed by the Internal Revenue Service And you would have to put in a very long career, probably 35 to 40 years in order to get to that level. It's very difficult solely investing in the G Fund. I had many uh, co-workers of mine who solely invested in the G Fund during their career, and they did not achieve the million-dollar status. Yeah, so the G right. Okay, so if you want to not work forever, then you have to be a little bit aggressive. And over the years, the non-G funds, they've fluctuated more, but they've ratcheted up way greater returns long-term, fair to say. Yes. you know Certainly, the stock market historically has always had its upwards and downward turns uh, for many different types of reasons. And over a long federal career, if you're going to put in 30 years as a federal employee, you're going to receive the upside of the stock market over your career, and you will benefit from those uh, 
high returns as as your balance keeps growing year after year. I saw it during my career, and uh, I was just amazed how and, that could happen. And maybe discuss the implications of reaching that million dollar or two million, or in your case, three million. You're definitely a one percenter or a tenth of a one percenter in terms of TSP savers. But what does that mean in terms of what you can do financially when you do retire? There's a meaning to the million. Well, that is a very big question for every uh, federal employee, what to do with their TSP when they do retire. It can supplement your income. You can go on some nice vacations. You can do some charitable donations. You could do any number of things. But for me, I saw it as a treasure chest in the event that I have to go to a long-term care facility, both for me and my spouse. In the event that day happens, we would have enough resources to handle that type of situation. So, uh, yes, I do enjoy my TSP withdrawals, but... I want to make sure that I have sufficient funds in the event it's needed for long-term care. Got it. Yeah. So that insurance is a great feeling to have because you know what long-term care costs these days. We're speaking with Abe Grungold. He's a retired federal manager and owner of AG Financial Services. And what are some mistakes people make that retard their ability to get to that million-dollar level, would you say? Well, certainly you do not want to panic uh, when there are some downward trends in the market. And every time uh, you panic, you sell your shares. And when you sell your shares, you recognize a loss. That is just not the right thing to do. The best thing to do is just to weather out the downward trends in the, in the market. And I have done that my entire federal career. And I had just waited uh, six months to a year, and I found that it had bounced back. Now, another uh, thing that people really need to be watchful of are these uh, investment forums like on Facebook, where there are people out there giving financial advice you don't know who they are. They could be complete strangers. You don't know what they've accomplished in their TSP. And it's very dangerous to take advice from those types of sources. I would recommend to avoid those. The other thing is, too, as you age, to beware of the scammers, because that's an increasing problem for people at all economic scales, all socioeconomic scales. Yes. Uh, I've had many friends and clients who are approached by uh, financial people uh, in all avenues of the financial industry from let me manage your TSP to selling you gold coins to selling you annuities. Uh, you have to be very, very careful with these solicitations. And look, you know, there's someone out there that's trying to scam someone on any level of your life. 
and you have to be watchful of that always. Yeah, this is Amazon reaching out. You need to update your payment methods, you know, this type of thing. Just it's it's incessant. And now they're doing oh, it by text and by email. I I get three to four uh, scam emails a day and my business account gets dozens of scam emails a day. Uh, it's just part of life. You have to tolerate it. You need to be watchful. And the best thing to do is to delete them. And the TSP and federal agencies offer resources to help people maximize and optimize their savings. And a lot of employees maybe overlook those services, fair to say. Yes. The TSP website has 35 years of historical information on the TSP. And there are many uh, webinars and uh, resources and articles and newsletters on the TSP. It, it's there for every federal employee and every federal retiree to take advantage of that resource. And uh, yes, employees should just spend a little bit of time each week reviewing as much information from the TSP website. Very important. And it's apparently important to TSP reflecting what employees worry about because they published the numbers of people that have reached that million-dollar mark. And it did dip a little bit during the COVID crisis, and it dips a little bit sometimes when there's an economic downturn like in 2008 and so on. But you can find out how many there are, and that's kind of incentive to join the club. Well, it's an elite club. It welcomes new members. And yes, the number of TSP uh, millionaires has fluctuated. And that's certainly due to the financial uh, issues that have happened this year with COVID, with uh, shortages of inventory, with the uh, wars that are going on uh, internationally. There's always something that causes the market to have a little bit of a blip. But right now, it's coming back pretty strong through the end of this year. So you're going to see a lot more TSP millionaires. Well, in honor of the late Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway, who passed away just yeah. a few days ago, let's say, don't ever lose faith in the power of compounding, right? Yes, he was a big fan of the TSP. Uh, I heard him speak about it in several interviews. Uh, he saw it as a great opportunity for federal employees to take advantage of it. Abe Brungold is a retired federal manager and owner of AG Financial Services. We'll take a short break, and when we return, some advice for helping service members, veterans, and first responders cope with the holiday season and the increase in depression and PTSD that can spark. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tammany. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. We might well be in the midst of the season to be jolly, but military service members and veterans often experience a spike in depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, even suicide. For some of the warning signs and how you can help, 
I spoke with the director of Warrior Heart Admissions, Michael O'Dell. And let's begin with Warrior's Heart Admissions. You're based in Texas, but you've moved to Virginia. What does the organization do? Yes, so we have two facilities, uh, one in Texas, one in Virginia, and uh, they both are, are here to treat veterans, first responders, and active duty military who struggle with substance abuse and post-traumatic stress. All right. And so you have licensed counselors that uh, are available to the folks that want to come in and avail of themselves? Yes, sir. Fully licensed and accredited to include the Joint Commission. We've got doctors, nurse pracs, and all the clinicians they need to get their healing in order. And tell us about your own story. What led you to found this? Because you are a Marine Corps veteran of Iraq and saw some heavy-duty action there, correct? Yes. So I'm from Bandera, Texas, which is where the Warrior's Heart Texas location is. And I joined the Marine Corps when I was 19 years old, quickly deployed to uh, Fallujah, Iraq, and Ramadi. And when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2010, uh, I struggled severely with substance abuse and post-traumatic stress. And uh, I ended up finding myself about five years later sitting behind bars in prison in Texas for substance abuse related issues. And uh, I sat there for two years and um, wondered how I could have an honorable discharge, have served my country so well and honorably, and then wound up in the penitentiary. And when I was released from prison, I actually found my place at Warrior's Heart. And I've been here since, uh, almost six years now, uh, serving this population in this community. And that's kind of a double-edged situation because if someone does end up in prison for some issue related to post-traumatic stress or whatever the case might be, that limits future employment prospects, unfortunately. It does. It becomes very challenging. Uh, a, a lot of people will not look past your past. Uh, and they only want to know what you're about. And so I was I was blessed with the opportunity uh, to be able to use the things that I've gone through in my past to help other people come out of that. And let's talk about the holiday season, the Christmas season, Hanukkah season, whatever you want to call it, holidays. It does tend to magnify. What have you found with respect to the population you serve, veterans, people still in active duty military and first responders. Yes, yeah, so the holidays are tough. Especially, so for the for military, a lot of us will deploy, we'll be gone for the holidays, and we form this tight brotherhood, this camaraderie with our fellow soldiers, Marines, and service members. And a lot of the times, some of them that we serve with are no longer with us, whether they died in combat, whether they succumbed to suicide, um, whether they committed that final act, they're no longer with us. And so oftentimes the holidays can bring those memories back. They can bring back the trauma. They can bring back that loss that we suffered through. And then the first responders, uh, a lot of them, we know that things escalate during the holidays, celebrations, parties, uh, drinking, uh, the, the, the festivities that come along with it bring uh, problems. And the first responders spend their holidays away from their families trying to protect the community and respond to these uh, these situations through the holidays. So when a first responder might think of, of July 4th or Christmas or New Year's, they're not thinking about a picture-perfect holiday. They're thinking about the accidents that they have to respond to and then come home and act like it's all okay. In watching the Army-Navy game, you know, last week on television taking place up there in New England Patriot Stadium, they had cutaways 
to different military units around the world as they were watching the game. And in that case, you had service members operating together somewhere far away from home, but at least they had one another, even though it's the holiday season. What's the dynamic in which a service member then might be home, but the camaraderie and the fellowship of those service members around them are not there, and it's just family and people on the street driving by? Yeah, it's it's a, you know, every time a warrior comes through the gates at Warrior's Heart, one of the things that we do as an organization is welcome them home. Every warrior that comes through our gates gets welcomed home. And a lot of them don't know what that means at first. It really is spiritual. When a first responder or a service member comes back from a mission or comes back from deployment, they might be home, but they're not really there. Their mind is with their brothers in combat. Their, 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 uh, their thoughts are with them and they're acting like they're home. They're trying to be home, but they're just not there yet. And those that are there with them, what can family members, friends, acquaintances do to help ease that situation and make them feel like they belong where they are? Because words can sound empty. They can. And, you know, I, I go back to to my experience. Uh, it, when I came, when I was home, I was not well. I was not okay. I was I was not doing good. And people continued to ask me what was wrong. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you not okay? Why can't you fix yourself? And I know that they meant it. I know that they wanted me to do well, but those words pierced my soul. It just, it it set in stone that I'm not okay. And so I think one of the best things you can do if you notice a loved one is struggling is to just love them and listen to them. And when appropriate, support them. But I just go back to what's wrong. It's like, don't ask them what's wrong. Clearly they're not okay. And what are some of the external signs that people should look for to go into that mode of simply listening and being empathetic without trying to probe and give empty advice? Yeah. So, so there's, there's all kinds of signs and symptoms out there. It's like you can look for sadness on your, on your loved one's face. You can, uh, a loss in appetite, fatigue. You can see feelings of guilt and shame and, and they're, they're just not present. If your family member or loved one is not present and you can tell something's wrong, something's wrong. People crave presence. And when they don't have it, something's off. And what can you say then that has meaning? Or is there a way to gently suggest that they go to a place like Warriors Heart Admissions? There are other organizations that offer these types of services. Is it okay to simply suggest check them out? It is. We we highly recommend. So there's a lot of uh, good videos on YouTube. We have a documentary, Warriors Healing Warriors. It's on Amazon Prime. And it really paints a beautiful picture of who we are and what we do and why we're here. But what a loved one can do is is just say, hey, I, I can tell that you're struggling. I know that you know that I know, and I want to be there to support you. I've found this resource, and, and if you'd like, I can call, or you can call, or they can call you. My team is very experienced. I'm a veteran, as, as we talked about already. I've got uh, a retired police on my team. We, we understand what's going on. So you're not going to be talking to someone in some other country that doesn't know what you're going through. We get it because we've been there. And people that have troubles with alcohol, alcoholism, there is a heightened 
temptation, heightened availability, heightened pushing almost of drinking during the holiday season at the holiday gatherings and so forth. How do you navigate that one? That's a tough one, especially for folks that, that truly do struggle with substance abuse because we want our holidays. We, we know we're not perfect. We, we know that people know they're not perfect. And, and when we know we're not perfect and we're seeking a perfect holiday, it adds stress, it adds pressure. And then the pressure will explode and people it's okay for folks out there that are, that have a drink with their family and loved ones. That's, that's all fine. But for the ones that can't do that, we try to be normal. And so we try to fit in. And then next thing you know, we're not fitting in and things have exploded from the pressure of just trying to be what we think is normal. So a pure eggnog without the rum, that's not such a bad way to host a party then, is it? That's not a bad way to host a party. All right. Any other thoughts people should understand when when, uh, having a loved one who is a service member, veteran, or first responder around in the holidays? So there's a lot of things that loved ones and the, the warriors themselves can do. If they're in recovery, they can go to a meeting. They, they, if they're in recovery, they understand that service is key. Finding somebody they can serve, finding something they can do with their time that helps others. And family members can engage in that as well. Take the family out and go serve somebody. That brings so much more meaning to, to the holidays than just trying to make it so picture perfect because we know it's not going to be that way anyway. Michael O'Dell is director of the Warriors Heart Admissions and a Marine Corps veteran. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Michael O'Dell is director of the Warriors Heart Admissions and a Marine Corps Iraq veteran. And that's it for today's FedLife. We'll return next week with more of what you need to know to manage your career and financial life. Until then, I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.